Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. Thank you guys. It is an incredible privilege to be here with you guys today. I'm talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We're continuing our series, Kingdom Come, about loving our enemies. Loving our enemies. One of the most written about, talked about verses from Jesus until now. No pressure. But this is also one of the most influential things that's ever happened in all of time. You see, Martin Luther King described this as the most powerful, redemptive force of love that the universe has ever seen. It changed the course of history when it happened. Countries and civilizations were changed throughout time and trajectories were changed as the word today that Sheetal shared shows us. And it transforms and impacts us even today. So if you can turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 48, let's read it together. But before Jesus says this, the part right before he says this, he talks about oaths. He says, do not make an oath. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. He essentially says, what you say, mean what you say. And so when we read this verse, let's not think that this is hyperbole or he's exaggerating. He says, take people at their word and let's listen to what he says. He says, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What challenging words. My first response to that would be to discount them. To think that this is some idealistic dream of a dreamer. That this is something for a distant utopia that doesn't exist. And that's probably what the people who were listening to Jesus thought. They said, for Thousands of years they had heard it said, an eye for an eye, and now you're telling me to turn the other cheek? But you see, we have the benefit. We have the benefit of knowing how the story ends. You see, when Jesus said this, that was before he died on the cross. He went to the cross. Instead of turning the other cheek, he was hit on both cheeks by Roman soldiers. They bound his eyes and they said, prophesy, who hit you? In fact, there was a prophecy from 700 years before this in Isaiah 52, 14, that says, Jesus was beaten to the point of being disfigured, disfigured beyond human recognition. Jesus didn't just turn the other cheek, he gave everything. Pontius Pilate said, behold the man. He sought to scourge him and whip him to such a severe extent that the people wouldn't crucify him. But yet the people, whipped up by their political and religious leaders, yelled, crucify, crucify, crucify. 
And Pontius Pilate said, on your head be this man's punishment. You see, instead of giving his tunic and his cloak, he was stripped naked. Crucifixion was done when people were naked. They saw, the Romans sought to embarrass you completely in front of his mother, in front of his family, in front of his closest friends. Psalm 51, a thousand years before the crucifixion ever happened, says that you were betrayed by those you broke bread with. We just broke bread together, remembering this crucifixion. And in the Last Supper, the very person he broke bread with, his closest friend, betrayed him with a kiss. Instead of walking two miles, he walked up the hill of Golgotha, the place of the skulls. And he walked up carrying across the word 100 pounds. You see, the crucifixion is something we don't like to talk about. It's not something you bring up in pleasant company. But we're in church. If we can't talk about it here, where can we talk about it? You see, if we're so insulted by the even idea of crucifixion, how can we appreciate what he did? The crucifixion was so terrible that they had to invent a word to describe it. The word excruciating comes from crucifixion. Two Latin words, ex cruciatus, out of the cross. You see, the prophecy a thousand years before the crucifixion, when King David saw the crucifixion, and he saw God's anointed one being crucified on the cross. He couldn't understand what it was because crucifixion didn't exist. But in Psalm 22, he says, your hands and feet were pierced. He said, your, your bones were out of joint. You see, when I hit my funny bone or my leg falls asleep, I whine. I'm like, ah, that hurts. But they drew a stake through that very nerve on the cross both in feet and hands. You see, the Romans would dislocate the shoulders as they would stretch the arms out on crucifixion intentionally because you need your muscles in your chest to breathe. And so in order to breathe, you have to push yourself up by the very stake that you were just pierced with in order to relax the muscles to breathe. Inhale and exhale. And when you got too tired for that, you couldn't breathe. The most common way of death for people who were crucified was suffocation, one of the worst ways of going. The Romans were masters of coming up with the worst way to die physically. But Jesus endured that for us. He didn't just endure physical pain, he endured emotional pain, betrayal by his closest friends. Stripped naked, embarrassment. See, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was going to be crucified, he sweat blood, something you only see in concentration camps. The capillaries burst because of the incredible stress that you undergo. As Aidan shared, before the beginning of time, before the foundations of our world were created, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew that being a part of this triune God, that it was his to be separated from that triune God on the cross. He cried out, as it said in Psalm 22, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Because he felt the separation from God. He, surely he bore our sins. Surely he was pierced for our transgressions. The full weight of our sins was upon him. He became a curse to break our curses. He felt emotional pain, physical pain, and spiritual pain. He endured hell on earth. And he did that for us while we were his enemies. You see, Romans 5, 8 says that he died for us while we were still his enemies. 
that love such as this the world had never seen. Even as they were piercing his wrists, he yelled out, Father, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And in reading Bible commentaries on what, what, that, what that phrase means in Greek, it's the imperfect tense, which means that he didn't just say it once. He kept saying it as he was being crucified. He was praying for the very people who were crucifying him at the very time they were crucifying him. That love was what changed history. You see, when he first started his public ministry, he quoted Isaiah 61. He said, The sovereign Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set captives free, to release from prison those who are bound. And we love hearing that. We love hearing that he is going to declare the year of our Lord's favor. But this is how he did it. This is how he accomplished that. So let's not turn our eyes away from this. You see, we're 1,800 years before Jesus. The law of the land was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. We know this because the oldest code of laws that we have is Hammurabi's code from ancient Mesopotamia. A code that was preserved over the years, 256 code, laying out justice and influenced that whole community. Even the Levitical law had an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus said there was another way. He said that redemptive love was the most powerful force in the universe, and he discovered that. He created it. He changed human history because of it. In fact, history itself was split in two, before Christ and A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Weeks after he was crucified, Peter, in Acts 2, came up before the crowds, the very people who crucified Jesus, and he said, the Christ that you crucified is resurrected from the dead. And those people were cut to the heart. They said they were cut to the heart and 3,000 gave their lives to Jesus. You see, I would think the very people who crucified Jesus would be the very people who should be judged. But that's why I'm not a judge. You see, there's only one judge. And the judgment of that judge is perfect for all those who put their life, uh, their, their fate in Jesus Christ. And it's perfect for all those who choose not to put their faith in Jesus Christ. The very church was formed by these people who crucified him. 3,000 people formed the earlier church. And then in Acts 3, the Holy Spirit came in signs and wonders and broke through. In Acts 4, there was radical generosity. In Acts 5, the church exploded and grew out and churches were planted. And in Acts 7, Stephen was preaching the powerful, powerfully the gospel and was stoned for it. And while he was being stoned, a Saul of Tarsus held cloaks, approved of the stoning. And Stephen lifted up his eyes. He saw Jesus high and lifted up, and he says, Lord, forgive them, while he was being stoned. In Acts 9, that same Saul of Tarsus was going to Damascus, and he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Jesus high and lifted up, saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul was cut to the heart. You see, that same process that that Stephen's prayer started, Jesus finished. And Saul became Paul the Apostle and took the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. History was changed. Even the most famous people in our modern history, the people we aspire to be like, that we would love to have a lunch with, that we would love to learn from, were dramatic and impactful because of these words of Jesus. 
Abraham Lincoln presided over the freedom of people in slavery and bondage. The most bloody conflict in our nation's history. More people died in the Civil War than all the other wars put together. It was very close. If the Civil War happened today, two, six million people would have died. The country was broken and splintered from that. And Abraham Lincoln sought to rebuild the South. He spoke well of the South. He sought to reconcile with the South. But his closest allies said, how can you do this? Don't you know what the South has done to us? Abraham Lincoln said, I destroy my enemies by making them my friends. We know from Abraham Lincoln's writings that he was inspired by this same Jesus. He was inspired and he sought to live out the words that Jesus taught us. As he was seeking re-election, there was a man named Edwin Stanton who was a fierce critic of Abraham Lincoln. He called him tall and lanky and ungainly. He said, how can such a man who looks like this be our president? And when Abraham Lincoln won, he made that same man his defense minister. Abraham Lincoln was famous for taking his rivals and making him his closest allies. Can you imagine if our president made Hillary Clinton his attorney general? Can you imagine if Hillary Clinton made Trump our, his press secretary? Like, we can't even imagine that, but that's what Abraham Lincoln did. He brought them together, and when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, that same Edwin Stanton gave the most beautiful and impactful eulogy that I've ever heard. He said, now Abraham Lincoln belongs to the ages. He made his enemies his friends. In World War I, after war raged throughout the world, the Allies sought to punish Germany for what they did. They put incredible taxes and levies on them. They sought to rebuild all of Europe on the backs of the Germans. They sought to punish them for daring to fight the Allies. And that hate created more hate, and Nazism rose from there. But there were some who resisted. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a Christian theologian, said, we must respond to hate with love. Because Jesus taught us that. He thought, taught that we should stand alongside our enemies before the throne room of God and appeal to them on, on God's behalf. That they would know Jesus, that they would be blessed, that they would be loved. And networks of Christians all throughout Europe would free Jews that were fleeing the concentration camps. They risked their own lives. They were being taught to hate. They had heard it said to hate their brothers. But instead they chose love and risked everything. After World War II, the Allies again said, we must punish Germany. And this time their plan was to castrate German males between certain ages. The plan was that if they could castrate the males, they could keep the population down. And Germany could never again cause a World War III. But this time America stepped in. America said, no, we will rebuild Germany and Japan. And not only that, we will open up our markets to Germany and Japan in the Brenton Woods Agreement. And the allies couldn't believe it. You're going to open up your markets, free access, the same access that our closest allies would have to Germany and Japan. And it changed our enemies into our friends. Now, two of our closest allies, even 70 plus years after. One of those Jews saved in the concentration camps was named Irvin Stowe. He was so overcome by the kindness and redemptive love of Christians that risked everything for us that he spent his life learning about that redemptive love and how it could practically impact lives. When the genocide happened in Rwanda in the early 90s, nearly a million people died, 14% of the population. If that had happened in America, that would be 43 million people dead. You would think that the country would be in complete chaos after that happened. 
But there was a radical show of love after that. Truth and Reconciliation Commissions. Irvin Stowe helped create radio programs that used to show hate and devaluing humanity, now talked about love and forgiveness. There was one story that came out of that where a man had his whole family killed by another man. And that man who murdered his whole family was racked with guilt and pain and came to the man that he had killed his whole family and said, please, let me just serve you. Let me work away this guilt that I have. And the man who had his whole family killed welcomed him and said, yes, you can serve me, but blessed him and was kind to him and was generous with him. Events such as that transformed a nation, and Rwanda has grown one of the fastest-growing economies in all of Africa. And there's incredible unity that's been creating even through the pains of genocide. Gandhi said that the Sermon on the Mount was one of the most important texts ever written and was so inspiring to him that he formulated his strategy of freeing a nation through it. He even said that I would be a Christian today if it wasn't for Christians. You see, he tried to go to church, but he was prevented from going to church because of the color of his skin and because of his social background. Nelson Mandela in South Africa, after years in prison, was kind and gracious and gentle to his former oppressors. And where neighboring countries sought to throw off oppression with the sword and descended into chaos, South Africa grew to one of the leading economies in Africa, a bloodless revolution. Martin Luther King said, of the Sermon on the Mount, of this, we should love our enemies, that this is the most powerful redemptive force in all of the universe. It has the power to change men's hearts. It frees not only the oppressed, but also the oppressor. It has a double effect. And he said that of this old and tattered world, we will make a new world if we just believe what Jesus said. He said Jesus discovered this. It changed the course of human history. And it is true for today. It is true for right now in this 2018 year of our Lord. You see, I've seen this in my medical practice. I was drawn to medicine because I thought that you could connect with people on this real and deeper level. You see, normally when you talk to people, we have these walls built up. When you ask someone how they're doing, they say they're doing fine. But in, a, in that patient-physician relationship, when you ask them how they're doing, they tell you how they really are doing. They tell you their hurts and their pains. They come real and broken. You see, my patients have been abused, and I have patients who are abusers. I have patients who have been assaulted, and I have patients who are assaulters. I have patients who have had family members murdered, and I have patients who are murderers. And I struggled with that. You see, I would want to be self-righteous, and I would want to judge one or the other. But there's only one judge. And so I, I wrestled with how can I be, do good to these people. And what I came to was the Sermon on the Mount. And I first I had to recognize that, that I do have biases, that I do have people that maybe I don't want to acknowledge are my enemies, but I don't at least like, that annoy me, that bother me. And once I recognized that, I could open up my heart to God. You see, King David did the same thing. In Psalm 139, he opened up his heart to God and he said, Lord, I hate those who hate you, but search me, Lord. If there's any detestable way in me, please free me from that. And God did. 
Even when King Saul was seeking his life, he couldn't hurt him. He said, surely you are the Lord's anointed. God freed him from that hate. And then what I do is I stand beside that person just as Diedrich Bonhoeffer would in prayer. And I appeal to the God of heaven and earth on their behalf. I say, Lord, bless them. Help them to know you. Prosper them. And an incredible thing happens. I start to see that they were also created in the image of God. That deep down before the world would twist them, before the world perverted them or sought to create them for hate and chaos, that they were created in that same image. And God would give me insight into what happened to them. And a love would start bubbling up to me. And then as Luke 6 says in the Sermon of Mount, do good to those who are your enemies. And I would bless them. And I would feel this incredible freedom lift for me. You see, I was never meant to be a judge for them. And once the weight of that judgment lifted for me, my heart could rejoice again. See, Proverbs talks about how the mind, the body, and the soul are all intertwined and related. Proverbs 17 says a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken and crushed spirit is like a grinding in the bones. But yet over those thousands of years, we've forgotten the wisdom of ages. We like to think our mind is different than our body, is different than our soul. But they're all interconnected. Jesus came to free all of it. He came to bind up our broken hearts, to free from prison those who are bound, to set the captives free. And I've taught my patients the same thing. Those who have been abused, hurt in so many unspeakable ways. I say, look, we can use medicines, we can do counseling, we can do all of those things, and let's do all of those things. But also, let's pray for those who have persecuted you. And I've seen radical changes in them. They've gotten physically better and emotionally better, too. I've seen that this works even in in our household. You see, this is true for my marriage, too. There are times where I would disagree with my wife. And it's so easy to get caught up in that I'm I'm right or you're wrong or, or that kind of thing. But when I come and recognize that Mashita is not my enemy, once I realize that, I come and I pray before heaven and earth and I open my heart to God and I stand before the throne room of God and I pray for her, my heart radically changes. And instead of hate begetting hate and escalating, I'm filled with a feeling of love. And I realize that that there is a higher way than either of our ways. It diffuses that war. In the face of civil war, genocide, world wars, oppression, hate, racism, there was only one way. The radical way of love. Love makes the difference. Love is the only way. Martin Luther King said, when we choose hate to free ourselves from hate, we just create chaos. But when we choose love, we are free. Earlier this year, we went to Mexico and we did a medical relief clinic in, in various areas. And everyone who walked into the clinic, we want, wanted to help exemplify this for mind, body, and soul. And so everyone who came in got a smile, a hug, a handshake. They were, received medical care and everyone was prayed for afterwards. And there was this person who came in who got a hug, who was, we treated her medical conditions and was prayed for. And she was cut to the heart by what we were doing. And she looked at us like, this is incredible. And she left right at that moment and talked to the other people in the community. And the pastor and his wife that led that church said, 
do you know who that lady was? I said, no, I, I don't know who that lady is. She said, for years after planning a church in this area, she's opposed us every step of the way. You see, she didn't want a church to be in this area. So her and several people in the neighborhood would throw garbage in the church. When we would do construction, she would block the construction so everything would get delayed and it would cost us more. She would cause, call the police to harass us and cause us problems. And every step of the way, we would just clean up the garbage, turn the other cheek. At first, we would just endure, but then we started to pray for her. We would stand alongside her in prayer. And we waited for God to deliver us. That same lady came back to the clinic with all of the other leaders of the, the community. And she told all of them, no, this church, they do good things. We should help them. That night, we did an outreach event, and so those same people from the community came to that outreach event. And as we did an altar call, they stood to receive Jesus in their hearts. We heard stories of some of them were alcoholics and abusive husbands, abusive to their wives and their kids. And I remember seeing their kids looking up at their dad, wiping away the tears as they, he received Jesus, and wondering, this is the same dad that was our abuser? Now is free? You see, Jesus feel, frees the abuser as well as the abused. The legacy of those families has changed. That's what love does. It doesn't just affect one person, it affects everyone. It's contagious. It echoes throughout all of history, and it's true for us even to this very day. It's true for us right now. Even right now, I know that there are things that have happened to us. There are hurts and pains that we carry. But we fear it, we dread it, we run from it. But God's mercy and redemptive love comes for us all the same. You see, we would like to pretend like it never happened. We would like to bottle that up and pretend like it's not going to affect our physical, mental, or spiritual health. We'd like it to fester as a wound that we pick up. But today, God is here to declare good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to free captives, and to free from prison those who are bound. The ministry that Jesus started, he continues to this very day. So I'm going to ask that if you recognize that there may be someone you don't like, someone who has hurt you, someone you struggle to do good to, someone you couldn't even imagine praying for, I ask that you'd stand with me because I know that I have that in my life. I would ask that you stand if you feel that. If there is someone that you want to open your heart out to God and say, God, lift this from me. Lift this pain, this track that she spoke about where I feel like my anger and hate need to take me this way and you want to be taken off those tracks, stand with me. If there is someone that you would like to stand beside and pray for, pray before the God of heaven and earth and say, God, please give me the strength and courage to stand for, to pray for, to ask that you would bless that person even if I don't understand it, even if I can't imagine what it's like to pray for those who are persecuting me, to say, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. I ask that you stand just like Diedrich Bonhoeffer prayed for the Nazis. If you want to do good to those who have done evil to you, just as that Rwandan man welcomed the murder of his family as a servant. If you want to obey the call that Jesus had in Luke 6 to do good even for our enemies, I ask that you stand as a step of faith 
to do good for those who persecute you. And I ask that if you want to receive this Jesus into your heart on a deeper way, in all of your heart, not just the, heart, the part of your heart that's convenient, not just the part of your heart that is free from pain, but all of you want to receive Jesus, I ask that you stand. Maybe it's Christians who have keeping you away from Christ. Maybe today is the first day that you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and see what that would do. I ask that you stand and receive that redemptive love. I ask that we would do this daily, that we wouldn't delay, that we would stand today and open our hearts to the God who has changed everything. Lord, as we stand together, we feel your presence here. We know that you're working, that you've anointed us to free us from the hurts and pains of the past. Maybe we've been defined by it. Maybe we've allowed ourselves to judge others. But Lord, today you free us. We stand together as a household of faith, as brothers and sisters, and we welcome you to the truth that has set us free. By your blood, our wounds are healed. You became a curse so that our curses could be broken. Thank you, Lord, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every kingdom will bow before you. And we ask right now, by the blood of the Lamb, that perfect sacrifice. You sacrificed everything. You gave it all for us. Mind, body, and soul, Father. You gave everything for all of us. Now, let us give everything to you. Let us respond to your perfect love with the love of our own. We ask that you would free us. Free us from the bonds that hold us back. Free us from the hurt and pain that we've allowed to define us. Free us from the, the, the feelings we have to our political enemies. Free us, Father, from that feeling of being whipped up, Father, into a frenzy of those that don't agree with us. Free us, Father, from marital strife and marital pain free us from hate Lord you are the perfect judge and I pray Father that you would free the oppressed and the oppressor that you would make of this old and broken world a new world one that echoes with your redemptive and liberating love for all time in Jesus name Amen Thanks again for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us. Church in the City, all of Jesus for everyone.